I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, I'm Brad Moss and you're listening to Sorry Partner. Hello and welcome to Sorry Partner, a weekly podcast about bridge and all things interesting to bridge players, brought to you by bridge partners and friends, Catherine Harris and Jocelyn Starts. On today's program, we talk with American champion Brad Moss about growing up and the importance of respecting your partner. He's learned to keep the fights clean and the bridge, well, bridge. And we hear his top tip for developing players. But first, let's kibitz. Hi, partner. Hi. How are you, Catherine? Jocelyn, I am great. It's a very big day, as you well know. Yes. Do you want to share with our listeners what's going on? Oh, they're just going to be so thrilled. (laughs) 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 We have merch. Yay! We were inspired by, remember the tracksuit wearing opponents that our friend, regular correspondent, Stephen, told us about the very intimidating regalia that they were sporting (laughs) and completely intimidated their, um, well, I guess everybody playing that event. Well, we took a page from their book. (laughs) (laughs) We've got mugs, t-shirts. Tote bags. Yep. I did give one to my dad. Ooh. And he's been sporting it at his retirement community. Nice. Well, you'll be able to pop a notebook in, in that <laughs> tote bag. Now. Yes. I think he uses it to carry his real maple syrup down to the cafeteria so that he can have real maple syrup and not the the stuff actually that I 
<laughs> I actually prefer on my pancakes. <laughs> the maple tasting the, syrup. What's it yes, called? Yes, log cabin. I love it. I, yeah. I mean, yeah. So, but my dad carries, <laughs> that's his, that's how he's using his sorry partner tote bag. But I mean, I think they could be very useful for carrying bridge paraphernalia around to events, you know, your convention cards, your earplugs, your pencils. Yes. And then when you get back to the hotel, you can take a nap with your sorry partner pillow. <laughs> or you can make a note to yourself and pop it on a fridge door, for example, with your sorry partner magnet. Oh, those will be great for keeping track of funny things that happen at the table. <laughs> That's right. So the links to the, to our merch store on the website and in all our show notes. So you can you can find all that information there. The other thing I'm also really excited about today is that we're going to be talking to Brad Moss on the show. And for anyone who's not aware, Brad is American Bridge royalty. His mother is Gail Greenberg. His father is Mike Moss. His stepmother is Sylvia Moss. His brother is Andrew Moss. His sister is Jill Levin. His brother-in-law is Bobby Levin. His nephews are <laughs> Justin Blanchard and Shane Blanchard. And Shane is married to the Swedish-American champion, Sandra Rimstad. And all of those people's relatives are champions. And there's probably even more family members out there that I haven't covered. So forgive me if I missed anyone off the list. <laughs> so we are at the heart of a bridge empire here today. And it's galactic. It's not just American. We're getting universal here. Oh, yeah, yeah. This is the core of an ecosystem, which we intend to, <laughs> to explore. <laughs> but Jocelyn, I, I'm not sure if you remember that I had the opportunity a couple of years ago to kibitz Brad at a national tournament. Oh, in real life? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was amazing. So you were, you were kibitzing him not online, but live, sitting, watching him. Yeah, it was at the Nationals and, and our games had finished and I think you'd already gone home. <laughs> and I was sitting around just trying to decide what I was going to do next. And Gail Greenberg, who's Brad's mother, came by and I know Gail a tiny, tiny, tiny little bit just because I was in one of her classes once, which of course was fabulous. But um, she said, come with me. And I had no idea what was happening. I, you know, sure. <laughs> me and Gail, we are buds. So it's like... <laughs> hang on there, girlfriend, I'm coming. And so I went with Gail and next thing I know, she's taking me into this huge ballroom. But there was like three tables spread out over this enormous space and it was clear that a game was going on. There was the tables with the screens. And it was such an unusual and unexpected experience. It was super chill. They all knew each other. There was just, it was like being in someone's living room with a couple of people having a quiet conversation in, in a couple of different corners. It was so relaxed. And I'd just come from playing in one of those, you know, enormous football fields where there's thousands of tables all packed in and you can't move because you're going to bang into the chair behind you and people are knocking you and everybody's upset and everyone's <laughs> the director. <laughs> you know, you're meant to be playing and playing your best game while all this, all this ruckus is happening around you. And then I walk into this den of tranquility. It was so calm and it was so genteel and everyone was being so nice. And Gail and I go and take our positions behind Brad and we're just there. Have you been into one of those tournaments before? No, I've only watched on the 
you know, on the TV or the monitor sure. outside or the view graph or something like that. So yeah. I'm very, I'm very jealous. But, you know, I guess we'll have to just get to that level. Next year. Next yeah. year. I'm sure yeah. it'll happen. I was terrified I was going to give something away with my facial expression. I was trying so hard. Oh, yeah. Oh, right. <laughs> the police being called, you know, being arrested for wincing or something. <laughs> the other thing that really surprised me is um, we've all seen pictures of the screen, so it's not like they're in separate spaces or anything. Nevertheless, Brad and his left-hand opponent were constantly talking. They were having this active conversation, very hushed, of course, but whispering constantly throughout the game. And the same thing was going on on the other side. Yeah, and I had imagined it would be this very quiet situation, maybe occasional asking for points of clarification. But no, it was chatter, 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 chatter. Mm. Was it just you and Gail Greenberg who were kibitzing at that two. point? It was just yeah, no other kibitzers. Oh, and like wow. I said, I think there were three tables being played, but they were really spread out across a very, very large ballroom. And then, um, so at Brad's table, when the opponents were playing, the dummy got up at one point and was just stretching his legs. And you know, it's just it was just so chill. And I thought it was just a completely different experience at that level. Obviously, for a number of reasons. But they all know each other and it's just hanging with their mates, showing yeah. off how smart they are. It's okay. Well, I can't wait to experience that quiet, relaxed, playing at a high-level tournament with you. You know, let's do it. <laughs> I'm sure we'll be there very soon. Very soon. Very soon. No doubt. No doubt. <laughs> Stepping away for a minute to say thank you to our friend Larry Cohen, known for his Keep It Simple Sweetheart philosophy. Check out his quizzes, practice hands, and Bridge Made Simple webinars at www.larryco.com. Thanks, Larry. Jocelyn, there's been a couple of letters in the mailbag from people responding to previous episodes. Would you like me to read you one? Oh, please. That sounds great. Okay. So the first one is from Vanessa in South Africa. And she says, hi, Catherine and Jocelyn. First of all, I want to say how much I love your podcasts. Thank you, Vanessa. Oh, yeah. thank you, Vanessa. She says, I've picked up so many tips from listening. Thanks for the entertainment. Well, you are welcome. So have we. <laughs> <laughs> so she says, I look forward to Thursdays and listening to your new guests. And last Thursday was no exception, except that I was so excited to hear what fellow South African Nicola Bateman had to say, that I fast-forwarded to her interview without listening to the kibbutz. <laughs> You'll never do that again. Never. <laughs> I then sent the link to my partner and told her to listen. Jump then to our game on Saturday, and I picked up, and she, she describes her hand, so she picks up the Queen of Spades six times. The Ace King Jack five times of hearts and a singleton club and a singleton diamond. Very shapely. Very shapely. Not a ton of points. Ten high card points. So she opened one spade. Her left hand opponent bid one no trump. Her partner passed and then the ops bid three no trump. And you guessed it, she then bid four hearts, which was off for 800. Hmm, sounds familiar. <laughs> Only. 
And then she said, after the round, my partner messaged me and said, was that the Oi Vey convention? <laughs> I was thinking about that. <laughs> she said, I had no idea what she was talking about. And then her partner said, at least it wasn't minus 1700. <laughs> anyway, Vanessa says, I've just listened to the whole podcast now and can't stop laughing. If only I'd listened to it from the start, as I usually do, we would have won the game. Just had to oh. share. Thanks again. <laughs> kind regards, Vanessa. <laughs> the Oive Convention. Oh, my God. I love that. I love that someone <laughs> in South Africa missed out on learning the Oive Convention in time to prevent her from going down 800. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, you'll never not listen to the whole show again, Vanessa. Let, and let that be a lesson to everybody out there. <laughs> Thank you, Vanessa. Yes. Yes. And we have another letter from Ryan in Illinois. You might remember Ryan wrote to us about the director's ruling that you can't force someone to play stupid. <laughs> <laughs> they might play their low trump so they could be overrubbed. <laughs> right. No. <laughs> that was from Tihana Berkutit's episode. And he has written in again to say that you can't force him to play stupid came up again a few months ago with a different partner of mine with a similar hopeful director call by a desperate opponent. <laughs> We've all been there. <laughs> the director was called and then left the table for a minute to consider the problem. My partner said, I don't know what the rule is, actually. To which I replied, I do because I have seen this before. This is the you can't force him to play stupid rule. <laughs> And sure enough, while the director didn't say those exact words, they did rule that my partner's claim held up because his only way to go down would be to needlessly trump as high as possible in fourth hand. That's so funny. I can't believe, Ryan, that you've had to come up against this more than once in your recent playing history. But it might be good to claim a little more descriptively. What do you mean? Well, I think the problem is that either Ryan or I think it's his partner typically doesn't explain how he's going to claim. And that, you know, that opens the door to these desperate attempts. So maybe to ward them <laughs> off, he could do a little bit more explaining about how he... Oh, Jocelyn, I would, I would argue back. <laughs> I'm pushing back. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> I mean, it just comes into that category of things that are just hugely irritating about the opponents at the table. Surely you don't have to say, I'm going to over-Trump you. Right. There's explaining and explaining. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Okay. I don't think you should have to say, I'm going to Trump <laughs> with the lowest Trump I can get away with using. <laughs> I have the ace and the three and no one else has Trump, okay. so I'm going to Trump okay. with the three. okay. Point well taken. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, thank you so much, Vanessa, for writing in. And thank you so much, Ryan, for writing in. If you have any fun stories that relate to something that you've heard on this show on a previous episode or something funny that hasn't yet come up, please do send it to us either on email or Instagram or voice message. Those links are all on the website or you can find them in our show notes, along with some other good stuff. Coming up next, our interview with Brad Moss.
American champion Brad Moss likes to joke that he end-played his way into the bridge world. But from the moment he squeezed his way in, he has more than earned his place at the table. He is a grand life master and many-time national champion. We began by asking about his best or worst board of the week. So if I ever have a, a, a best hand, I would be happy to tell you about that. But, you know, I don't really have many of those. So the bad hands, I got plenty to choose from. <laughs> I play in a, a weekly online event that's run by Rob Barrington from New York. He's a teacher, great guy. And it's just eight boards and you play with a computer against two other computers, artificial intelligence. And a bunch of my friends, including my partner, Joe Grew, we, we play it in each week and really enjoy it. And the strategy is a little different because you're not playing, you know, with your human partner and necessarily trying to communicate back and forth so much. It's, it's oftentimes trying to mess with the computer. And so it, it creates funny hands. So I had one just last night where I opened the bidding and I, I had a balanced 11 point hand. So I opened the bidding one of a minor and you always have the, the hand that has the most high card points. So I knew that I, since I only had an 11, my partner, you know, had at most 11 and possibly quite a bit less. So when a diamond and I pass and or my computer partner bid one spade and it would pass. So I had a four card fit for partner, but with only my 11 points, I thought, well, you know, we probably don't have a game. It's unlikely. And I've known from experience that when you open the bidding and your partner responds and makes a forcing bid, if you pass, the computer in the, the last position will also pass. So I knew if I passed, the bidding would end at one spade and we'd play it there. So that seemed like a pretty good idea to me. So I passed one spade. And then when the opening league came, I saw that my partner had six spades and six hearts. And that was not such a good idea <laughs> as we were in one spade making six. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so that was definitely my worst hand of the of the week. Was this on BBO? Yes, it's on BBO, and uh, and anyone can play in it. You have to sign up for it, but it's a lot of fun. And I think there's usually about 150 people that play in, and some top expert players and beginning players, and a whole range of things. And uh, you know, it's surprisingly fun. What's your earliest memory of bridge? My earliest memory of bridge. So, my mother has been a bridge teacher since before I was born. I love my mother. She's a great teacher. She uh, she would have classes in our house. So when I was growing up, it would be a, a common thing on a Tuesday night to have five tables of bridge go, you know, lessons going on. And I, it, it was sort of how I learned the game. I would, I would sit in the corner or in the hallway where I couldn't be seen because my mother, KG dog that she is, uh, forbid me from learning how to play. So naturally, of course, that's all I could do and obsess about. And I'm pretty sure that was her plan all along. But regardless, uh, so my earliest memories are, are of coming home during the day or at night, you know, having all 20 or 30, you know, octogenarian uh, guests in my home sitting around the bridge table playing. When did your mom's devious plot start taking fruition with you actually starting to play so we went on for a while with the i'm not playing but i would uh occasionally uh i, I would i would soak in as much information as i could under the radar but she got 
undermined by her own uh, plans because we had a tradition that every year for your birthday, you could do any activity. You could do anything you wanted. So eventually I realized that, hey, I don't remember if, you know, how old, maybe 10, something like that. But mom said, hey, it's your birthday. What do you want to do this year? I said, mom, we're going to the bridge club and playing bridge. And so she really didn't have much of a choice to use a bridge speak. I would say she was end played. And uh, so oh, we, 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 we would go to the club. And I would say from that point on, A, she saw how much I loved it. And B, I think she enjoyed sharing it with me. So, you know, she traveled a lot for tournaments. So I would all of a sudden get to go to the sectional or, the, you know, when the New York regional was around, I, I could caddy and play or stuff like that. And I started to make some friends. And so that be, it became a, a social interaction. So from the time I was maybe 10, 11, 12, it was clear that she was uh, getting what she really wanted. A partner. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, no, no. I didn't. I didn't rate. No. I was still way nowhere near good enough for that. Uh, but, you know, patient as she is, she's not that patient. <laughs> Why did your mother forbid you to play? That's uh, a question that has significance for me because now being a parent myself, I have new appreciation for what went into that. And I, I sort of struggle with it myself. I, I love bridge. A huge part of my life from the time that I've, you know, a boy is, is been in the bridge world. It's the greatest intellectual challenge I've come across, but it's very time consuming, almost addicting. Even I guess I sort of look at it like what a child, or at least what I wanted as a child and maybe what my children like more than anything is to be treated like an adult. And I think that when you enter the bridge world as a kid, and you have some natural aptitude for it, especially if you come from a bridge playing family. So you're already indoctrinated somewhat or known by people. You get treated as a contemporary in a way that you don't in the real world as a child. If a child goes to a basketball court with grown-ups playing basketball, they, they may throw him the ball and say, hey, take a shot. But after 30 seconds, you go sit in the sideline again. And when you play bridge, if you're 80 or you're eight, if you play well, you play that sort of interaction to a child is, it's very appealing. And, you know, if you could start, you get written up in the newspaper or you, you get some validation socially and it's a lot. And for me, at least, and, and it's what I would worry about for my kids, things sort of muted in the backgrounds, whether it was school or other things that they became less interesting and less important to me. And I, I've known a lot of really smart people that didn't, want to finish school anymore or didn't want to pursue other things and everything else became less important. And that's perfectly fine if that's a choice that you make. But maybe as a young child or as a child, maybe you're not ready to make that kind of choice. That makes sense. I, I don't know that that's the best thing for Bridge. And I don't know that that's even right or a universal answer, but that's the concern. And, and while I didn't appreciate that as a kid, I do now as a parent. Do you feel that you missed out on something by starting to play Bridge when you did? I have always been a flawed person. I, I never really did that well with authority. I never really did that well with school. You know, I was always good at taking tests and I had my things that I did well. So I was able to navigate maybe better than I should, given my level of work, I think, or 
focus on on things I didn't necessarily want to do as a kid. But it's hard for me to look back objectively and say, you know, what was the chicken and what was the egg? You know, whether I would always have been that person and Bridge just exacerbated it or the other way around. I, I don't really know. To be honest, it was a long time ago, but I, I was lucky. I didn't finish college. I only got in because, you know, I did really well on standardized testing. And if I didn't have Bridge and then Bridge as a vehicle to get into trading because of games playing success, I didn't have the options that I would nest that I would otherwise have had, I think, or that I might, you know, would like to have had. And so I was, I was very lucky and I love Bridge. I love my life and things worked out very well. But for my children, I would like them to have more options than those that I had. That's really interesting. And you don't feel like you missed out on anything because you started Bridge as late as you did, like to be youngest life master or something like that. Uh, you know, Bridge is a great game and you're always getting better and you're always learning. And so if you want to get to the very, very highest levels of the game, you have to have learned somewhat young. I don't know anyone who took up the game at 40 and became a world-class player. Maybe that exists, but I'm unaware of it. So I'm grateful that I learned at a young age because it allowed me to to get where I am in the game. But there, there, there might have been trade-offs for me had I learned a little bit later and maybe balanced my choices a little better. Did you know you were good at it almost immediately? So, you know, that's a hard one for me because I, you know, I started out as one of the most obnoxious, arrogant little punks around. (laughs) I was pretty sure I was great at everything. (laughs) But, you know, my mother was a world champion. My sister is a world champion. My father was a many time national champion. My brother-in-law is a world champion. So I had advantages of being exposed to expert level thinking, deep thinking conversations early on. And, you know, I was like, oh, well, all, all my family, they're great at it. And I'm 10 times smarter than they are. So, yeah, I mean, I must be great at this. <laughs> but, you know, somewhere along the line, I've learned humility and realized, you know, we're all terrible at the game, but it's still fun. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. 
Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. What would uh, Joe Grew, your partner, say is your particular strength as a bridge player? Oh, God. I'd love to know if he would say there was any. Um, I think he would say that I think he would say I'm a good partner and teammate. I think he would say my intensity means that listen, it's a game of mistakes. Everyone makes mistakes, no matter how good you are. Bob Hammond, Joe, anybody, we all make mistakes, but uh, the mistakes that I make are unlikely to occur from a lack of effort or taking a hand off or, sort of coasting and doing it. I mean, I make plenty of them, but I'm pretty uh, unrelenting in my approach. And so the mistakes I make are generally just because I'm not very good on that hand. <laughs> well, so what would Joe say is your weakest area of the game? Okay. I would actually give sort of a related answer to that. I would say that sometimes like I'll play a hand and a dummy will come down and it's probably not the most complicated of hands. But I will take a, long, a fair amount of time. I always do a trick one before I play a card. I, first of all, I, I think that that's pretty much the way the rules should be written, if more officially than unofficially as they are now. But even so, even if it's not just the requisite amount of time I would always take beforehand, I will explore and, and think about things that maybe Joe wouldn't, you know, think that it's a good, efficient use of his time. And he's probably right. So sometimes... A, I mean, that can, that wears you down and grinds you down. And so maybe you're not as effective as you might be. But more to the point, I think what he would say is the defenders who are playing against me defend better against me when I'm declaring a hand than they do against him when he's playing a hand. And he's a hundred percent right. While I'm sitting there grinding and thinking about something, they're, they're thinking too. And they make more mistakes against Joe when he plays a hand than they do against me when I play a hand. Is that because you're giving away more information in your process? I think that that can be the case, I think, but it's also just more the, the pace, the deliberate approach, the way in which I do it. If things are moving sort of happy-go-lucky, you call a card, go, boom, boom, people just sort of, they get caught up in that, even great players. You know, people are influenced by tempo and the more grinding, deliberate pace there is, the more they grind and are focused as well. With regard to defense, are there any carding agreements that you have found to be particularly useful in your partnerships? Uh, so defense is really hard, hardest part of the game, right? When you're, when you're playing the hand, you know, you, you're in control and you see two hands, but when you're defending the hand, right, it's you and your partner and it's much harder. So there's two that come to mind that have really helped a lot. One is we play Rusino leads, which most people do only against no Trump, but we do it against all contracts. And there are some exceptions when it doesn't apply, but I think that's a, a very, very strong agreement. And two, some of your listeners may be less familiar with Smith Echo, 
And it's, uh, you know, when you're defending no Trump, you basically give a signal that says whether or not you like partners opening lead. And that can be very effective. But what we do and a number of other people do is instead of giving what would be a Smith echo saying, just I like your lead or I don't like your lead. What we do is that the that second trick is we give a suit preference play. So we say if partner leads a heart and the declarer wins it and plays a club, if I play a low club, I'm saying, partner, I want the lower of the suits that are, are in play that are possible to play. And if I play a high card, I'm saying I want the higher suit that's in play. And I think that's a, a very strong agreement against no Trump. One of our listeners, Mike from Michigan, has asked us to inquire about guests, how they visualize their hands. And Jocelyn and I are also very interested in this. And we were wondering if you could give us any tips about how to visualize the hands and also how you visualize the hands, whether you imagine hand patterns, if you literally see the layout of the cards, what goes on for you and what can we borrow from your technique? Uh, that's a really important question. So when we're first learning the game, right, we pick up our 13 cards, we have our rules, you know, you have 12 points, 13 points, you have 15 to 17 points, you do this, you have X number of cards in your suit. And then we start playing more and learning more. And it becomes more about visualizing your partner's hand. And as you're both bidding with each other and communicating it, or you're defending a hand, it's really about imagining not just the 13 cards in your hand, but in your partner's hand as well. So probably the most knowledgeable person I know about Bridge, who knows more than anybody that I'm aware of, is, is Bobby Levin, my brother-in-law married to my sister, Joe. And he said to me once, he said, the difference between the good player and the great player is the good player pictures the cards in their partner's hand from the bidding, from the play. The great player, it, this is during the bidding, even before you're playing a card, pictures all 52 cards. And in, in everybody's hands. And it's really important. It's really the, the next step. And I think he's right. But for me, how that manifests is it isn't so much visual, which I'm not picturing someone's hand and in it, their cards and, or I, I guess I, I think of it as, as sort of open spaces, right? I mean, as 13 black squares in, in for everybody and this, filling in what I know and boxes and, and populating a screen. And, and so what's what I know and what I don't know and, you know, the ratio of that. And I don't know if I would say it's more mathematical. I mean, it's not, it's certainly not computational, although it can be, but that process is more about just, it's doing a jigsaw puzzle and seeing, you know, more and more of, of the interior being filled in and the picture become clearer and clearer. A number of people have, have used the jigsaw puzzle analogy. I'm just wondering if you wouldn't mind fleshing that out a little more. I mean, obviously, I know what a jigsaw puzzle is, but <laughs> do you start to literally plug in the numbers or the cards as you see it? Or is it more a question of you start to block out things you think, now I don't have to worry about that suit? Are you grouping ideas or are you grouping cards? How do you do it? So I guess I would I would compare the differences between bridge and chess, right? Chess is a complete information game. Everything that you do is before you, right? There's no whole cards that are hidden. There's no 
bridge hand. There's no bluffing, right? Every Everything is right in front of you. And it's very computational, right? It's how many moves ahead. You're playing this, 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 this. A bridge is an incomplete information game. And so you have to, A, make evaluations about relative merits of clues and pieces that you get all the time. So I guess to go back to the jigsaw puzzle, right? You start with this either empty table or just the perimeter of it and empty and begin. And then you start plugging in things. Okay, this person passed. So they have at most 11 points and or they open one diamond and I know this or they're taking a long time before they lead. So they probably don't have a clear one. They had choices, all sorts of things and you're plugging in. And so you have to, through your experience of the prior times that you've seen this before, how much weight do I give this? And so there, there is math. Sometimes you have to calculate the percentages of this versus that, but it's more art than science usually, right? You have to decide what information is weighted differently. There's biased information, right? That maybe you shouldn't be taking advantage of. There's experience in what you know about this person, either personally because you've competed against them or what you've noticed about them from prior hands or their skill level and what your experience tells you about a person at that experience level. And then how much do you weight this? And and the answer isn't going to be the same for two experts, two top experts at the same level might view it differently because of their own biases and their own experiences and what they take advantage of the best. Some people's table feels incredible. And, you know, even if they know that a given play is 80% and another play is 50%, but their gut tells them that it's 50, they can easily be right that for them, it's the right play. And so it's just when you're looking at that jigsaw puzzle populating and, and coming into focus, it's not so much about each piece coming in in some sort of, you know, yes, no way. It's everything sorts of comes less cloudy and, and more cloudy and it's it's more nuanced. And how you want to interpret it is more the question. It It's rarely so black and white. How do you and your partner resolve tensions in the partnership? You mentioned that your partner feels that maybe sometimes your process assists the opponents a little bit. Do you talk about it? How do you manage that? Yeah, no, that's really easy. Um, that's a simple one. We talk about it. Joe explains to me what I did wrong and I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> and swear it'll never happen again. What a good partner. <laughs> now, um, listen, there's an age difference between us and sometimes I forget that. I'm a, a good uh, 10 years older than Joe and, you know, I will be holding that against that being made fun of for years to come. But, you know, we're different personalities. My my partner before Joe was Fred Gittleman. And Fred's a great guy, salt of the earth. And in, in my partnership with Fred, Fred was me and I was Joe. And I was more emotional, <laughs> not necessarily always behave in the perfect way. But Fred was a saint and he was a patient guy. <laughs> and when Fred decided to stop playing and you know, I, I love Fred and I told him, okay, I'm going to play with Joe. He said, okay, that's great. You guys are going to do great, but you know that you have to be me in the partnership now. And he's right now, of course, I, I'm not Fred and I never would be. And I would never be patient. And Joe is thankfully not, nowhere near as uh, difficult as I was, but we're different. And I would say that when we're in situations Listen, he has to bite his tongue and deal with my crap just like I do with him. But uh, 
we have our roles and we, we, we've learned how to recognize when we're bordering in trouble. Like we can know when the other person's had enough or getting frustrated and we do our best to do it. And fundamentally, I mean, Joe's one of the best people I've ever met. So it's, it's easy, you know, it's easy to deal with things that are hard. And we were close friends long before we were partners. And so it does make it easier, but you know, as I'm sure you've heard other people say, you know, bridge partnerships, especially at, at this level, you know, are like marriages and you spend unbelievable amounts of time together, unbelievable amounts of time working together and competing and you're raw and it, emotions run hot. And so you have to know that your partner's rooting for you and on your side and, and just take that as a given. So even when it looks bad or even when it's frustrating to be able to take a deep breath and go and okay. And, and so we've learned to navigate, you know, we still get on each other's nerves. We just had that. We just played in a regional and did poorly. And we both were frustrated with each other. And, but, uh, Kevin Bacon, uh, was asked and he, apparently he had a, a famously good Hollywood marriage to Kira Sedgwick. And he, he was asked, what's the secret? He said to keep the fights clean and the sex dirty. And so <laughs> I, I always, I always loved that and thought, uh, you know, that it has a analogies bridge. One of the criticisms that is often leveled against women players is that they're too emotional in the game. And yet I'm hearing you talk about your emotions a lot. Are you aware of that contradiction, maybe that hypocrisy? Do you ever feel any pressure to temper your emotions? I'm going to start with the first part because this is something I feel really strongly about. And I've seen it growing up. You know, I, I have strong sisters, strong mother. My wife is strong and she can't stand to be in the bridge world because of how misogynist and sexist the world is, especially at the expert level. It's brutal. It's terrible. And there's total double standards and narratives that are ridiculous. I think the gender segregation and stratification and separation has been a huge disservice to women. It perpetuates and entrenches these narratives and it, it's it's terrible i think it does a disservice to the game it's going to be a, the game's demise i think that the aging game the the lack of retention i think that it's very hard for a woman in the bridge world and i think that we've done a disservice to to the game and to the women competitors and for the fact that matters for everybody because i think we'd all be happier and the game would be better if it wasn't like this and and i think that it's hard because it would cause change and maybe the professional women players would struggle at first or maybe permanently to get sponsorship or better teams. But I think that the solution has to be doing away with gender events. In terms of regulating your emotions in the game, though, do you feel any sense of chastisement? Do you feel that you need to pull your head in in any way? Do you, you seem to be quite comfortable talking about the fact that you don't feel any need to mind your emotional space. So I don't care at all about perception, but the fact of the matter is, is if you're being emotional, you're probably not thinking as clearly, as logically as you might be. It can impact your teammates, your partner, but mostly, I mean, in some ways, Bridge has parallels to baseball in that baseball is really an individual sport masquerading as a team sport. Now, bridge is very much a partnership and team sport, but it's also at its root an individual sport. You're the one who has to play a card. You're the one who has to make a bid. And 
my maturation process, a lot, a large part of getting better, of becoming a better bridge player, a better person, a better father, a better husband, all of these things has been about learning to control my emotions. I'm naturally emotional. I'm naturally, I don't always moderate my words or my interactions to my own disservice, both in terms of how people have responded and to me actually taking the time and thinking and expressing what my real views are instead of my initial reaction or whatever ego-driven response can be triggered by anything. And so my maturation process in large part has been about moderating, not necessarily having an emotional response, but how to deal with it, how to compose it, and being more humble within that, I guess. I, I don't really know how to say it much better than that, but that is learned behavior for me. It is unnatural. I can relate. Do you have a favorite gadget or convention that you just love to play? For most of my bridge career, there's been a big debate in the expert world of natural bidding versus artificial bidding, precision, big strong club versus natural. And I've always been a very big component of natural bidding. It's harder, but if you do it well and you do it right, I think it it's better. I'm, I'm not a fan of nebulous one club or one diamond openings. I think that opening with a natural bid is beneficial. And that's sort of been my viewpoint for a long time. And when Joe and I started our partnership, he very much wanted to play an artificial-based strong club system, and I wanted to play a natural system. And so I thought to myself, well, we should do both and figure it out and compromise sort of as a joke. But then I started to think about that more and more, and I loved the idea. And to this day, that's what we do. And I think it's our strongest advantage is that we do both. When we're vulnerable and it's more about accurately bidding to the best spot, we play a natural system. When we're not vulnerable and it's just as much about getting in the opponent's way and being deceptive and making life hard, then we play the artificial system, which maybe is a little bit less accurate in, in the bidding. And then Joe took a brief sabbatical for Bridge. Different story. But, uh, you know, in the few months when he was away, I got involved first through a client of mine, but a friend, a good friend who developed a relay system. And that was the first time I'd ever played completely artificial. So not just a strong club, but basically there's a captain and a responder. And, and one person asks the questions, the other responds. And the person asking the question doesn't give any information about their hand. They're just saying, okay, how many points do you have? What's your distribution? What are your aces? What are your queens? What are your kings? Blah, blah, blah. And I saw the value in this and, and fell in love with that, which is, of course, completely contradictory to my love of natural bidding. And so... We've incorporated a lot of that. And so my favorite, so answer now finally your question, my favorite conventions now are when we start a natural auction where we bid and one person responds. So, you know, you open, my partner opens a diamond, I bid a heart, and my partner bids a spade. So now we started with this natural bidding, but all we know about my end is I have at least six points or so and at least four hearts. But what we know about our partner's hand is they have, at least 12 points, 11 points, 10 points, whatever your personal style is. We know that they have at least four spades. For us, we would know that we have at least five diamonds or four spades, one heart, four diamonds, and four clubs. That's a lot more information. So my favorite convention is now what we've developed is something we call the countdown. And now I take over now 
as the responder. And instead of continuing the partnership natural bidding, I stop doing that and just go back into the relay and start asking questions and saying, okay, I know so much about your hand in this. We're going to stop communicating. You're just going to tell me your hand. So the idea is by the time we've gotten to three no Trump or four no Trump or five no Trump is that on a good day, we can say all 13 cards in partner's hands. So by relay, those are transfer bids and the partner has to go off and into various directions depending or no. So transfer bids are you open one no Trump and I bid two diamonds showing hearts where I'm transferring you to hearts. So unless you have a truly exceptional hand, I'm transferring you. You must bid two hearts, right? It's a pup to two hearts unless you have a exceptionally of such a strong hand with hearts, right? So that's a transfer. The relay is a little different. The relay is, okay, you make a bid and I make the next step typically, right? So you bid two diamonds, I bid two hearts. And that's says, you don't have to bid the next bid. It's not a transfer to the next bid. You're just giving me a very specific answer to the question I give you. So step one says, I have four hearts. Step two says, I have three hearts. Step three says, I have two hearts. And then I make the next step and I ask you another question. So it's not so much a transfer as it is, is a question and answer. Got it. Okay. Thanks. What about conventions that you don't like or that you think are a waste of time? Okay. So... I don't like control bids over two club openings, uh, even though a captain of my team for a long time, Marty Fleischer, great guy, that's his favorite bid, I think. I think it's it's a bad time to be having that sort of like relay type auction. Okay, I open two clubs, I'm going to tell you how many aces and kings I have. You're so high already. It takes up so much room. It takes away our ability to have a natural discussion, which is what I think you need in that auction. Now, it can work great, right? Like you bid two clubs and I say, I have exactly two kings and that's it. And you look at your hand and go, oh, you have the king of arms and king of hearts. Great. But I really don't like that. I think they're very bad bits. What's the best bridge tip or advice that you've ever been given? Rather than any specific tip, a carding idea, you know, bidding idea, I think just the lesson of of humility and seeing something from your partner's point of view, of you, no matter how crazy, no matter how ridiculous it seems to you at the time, even if partner completely loses their mind, there's usually a reason why they did what they were thinking. And so if you are able to step back and it can be hard, right? Emotions are hard. You're concentrating, you're trying hard. It's an important event. You care, blah, 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 a million different reasons. But if you're able to step back and truly put yourself in, in your partner's position. Say, okay, why did they think this? Why do they do that? Really helps with what might be a difficult uh, situation. And, it, uh, and it's a great way to learn and have appreciation for how your partner thinks and what goes on and way that you can improve as a player in a partnership. Brad, that's terrific. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks so much. It was great. I want to thank you both. It's been a true pleasure. And I think what you're doing here is wonderful. And I'll be anytime you uh, want to speak or if I can help, please let me know. It's been great. Thanks a lot. Thank you very much. Thank you. And that's the show. Many thanks to Brad Moss. Sorry Partner is produced by Catherine Harris. Our theme music was composed by Jocelyn Starts and produced by Daniel Graboy. Send your bridge stories and comments to sorrypartnerpodcast at gmail.com or at sorrypartnerpodcast on Instagram or send us a voice message. And please consider supporting the show. These links are in the show notes and on the website 
along with some other good stuff, including new merch. We'd love to hear from you, but be nice or we'll call the director. Until next week, play well. May all your finesses be on side. And remember, as Brad says, step back. Try to see the situation from your partner's point of view. Thank you, partner. Thank you, partner. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 